the stuff with family is always so interesting. Like with my mom, the role that I've always played is like, it's all good. Don't worry. I'm good. It's very difficult for me to tap into the other space being like, I feel like ass mom, you might've caused a lot of this, you know, it's impossibly difficult to raise a person, a human. And I think once you start taking responsibility and like implementing forgiveness and all of it and just being like, as an adult now, it's up to nobody else but me. And I think once you take that step of like, stop blaming other people and actually like taking responsibility for it is when it actually starts to change. What is up, you beautiful bastards? It is your boy, King Taco, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to Matt Dejer from Yes Theory. These guys, in less than a few years, have created one of the largest channels on YouTube doing insane challenges, including getting Will Smith to bungee jump from a helicopter over the Grand Canyon, living off Tinder dating in Europe, and many, many more. I expected to talk with Matt about their business and growth, but this episode had a way different turn. It was way more behind the scenes of what it's like the rest of the time when they're not putting out content. If you want to improve yourself and listen to deeply personal conversation, you're going to love this episode. Here's four gigantic things you're going to take away. Number one, Matt's depression stuff and opening up about MDMA therapy. Number two, discussing his vow of celibacy. Three, having awesome co-founders and people you work with. And four, what would be the Matt Yes Theory challenge? It involves a car. Enjoy those four things plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Before we dive into the show, make sure you're subscribed to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash okdork where I put out two to three tasty business videos every single week to help people just like you on your business journey. Also, make sure to subscribe to AppSumo.com, the number one site online for software deals. That's AppSumo.com. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener Roy Bauman from the US of A. He left a review saying, Noah has life experience. He's a funny, cool, great interviewer, refreshingly unique, and also witty. Nice words, man. Thank you, Roy. I appreciate you and every other one of you gorgeous listeners. If you want a shout out in a future episode, leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. I check every single one. Matt, how, how are you living today, my man? I'm good. Yeah, I've been I've been pretty good. Just chilling at home right now, working from home today, so it's it's pretty relaxed. I'm in Moab, Utah. What are you doing out there? You know, I made some changes in my life. So the past few months, I've been kind of traveling in my car, living in different places from month to month. Definitely has its uh its trade offs. Sometimes you know, it's like anywhere could be great. Are you staying just there for a few days and then? It's actually interesting. I was living in Malibu with my best friend for a month, which was amazing. And then I went to San Diego and I had just people around me all the time. And I said, man, I really want to just be alone, like totally alone, no one around, no friends. So I've been in Moab for about a week alone. And I was, and uh, yeah, it kind of sucks being totally alone. I did the same thing, actually. I went away for five days. I rented this Airbnb in the woods and I was like, same thing. Like, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to do the the throw method and just be by myself and reflect in nature. And I literally, within three days, thought I was going crazy. I was like, I can't. I just can't do this. This is too intense. I just read this crazy book. Have you heard of this book called A Stranger in the Woods? Is that Henry David Thoreau? Or is it no, no, no. This is a guy. This story is bonkers. I don't know how it's not bigger. I just got recommended the book and I, I finished it in two days. It's a guy that lived in the woods alone for 27 years. Wow. He just got caught. He got caught recently because he was stealing from people's houses food. And uh, the story is just how he was alone in the woods. And it was a, an interesting question the guy said in the book that, that I was thinking about yesterday was like, how long do you normally go without interacting with someone else? I mean, I've talked to friends who, while they're awake, can't spend like more than an hour alone. I think for me, it's like, I, I usually I turn my phone off around 7 p.m. 
So I'm like fully disconnected at 7 p.m. And then I, it's usually back on at like 9, 9.30. So I'm, I'm usually alone or like with like the girl I'm seeing for like 12, 14 hours at night. And then I'm back into the, back into the rhythm of things after, which I think is, is super nice. Just not having your phone late at night. It's, it's super key. Dude, I love it. What do you know? What do you like to do after nine? To be honest, I'm, I spend a lot of time just like actually laying on this couch. Uh, I put like a blindfold on and I just kind of like, it's like a weird form of meditation where I just kind of like sit with my thoughts for like an hour, hour and a half with meditation music on and just like let my, just like let my mind roam and just see where it goes. It's really weird, but it's, it's really helpful. What kind of music do you listen to? On Alexa. I just asked her to play meditation music. Where's your mind gone? Uh, well, to be honest, this year has been really interesting. It's been, I've struggled with anxiety for like the last decade. And this year, because of COVID and because of just like slowing down a little bit, I made a commitment to just taking care, better care of my mind. And the more I started to actually take care of it, the more I realized uh, how much uh, <laughs> like dark there is in there, you know, like how much trauma and like where the anxiety actually comes from. So a lot of what I'm thinking about is just like a lot of past family stuff, a lot of personal stuff that I didn't ever really deal with as a kid, but I'm dealing now. And that I've realized is like, I just can't get to the next phase that I want to get to if, I, if I'm if i still dealing with this stuff. So the goal is to just fucking give it all to me now. I'll deal with it. And then we'll go from there, you know? Yeah. When you're alone like this, do you, what are you like, what are you thinking? I've been alone for the week. It's been an interesting week. It's interesting when um, you want other people's help and the only person to help is yourself. And it's in the stupidest things. It's like, oh, what should I do for dinner? And I really want to, I want help sometimes. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, bro, just consu- what, should I get a salad? No, you want pasta. Do you like pasta? I don't even know if I want pasta. You don't need carbs. <laughs> and then there's, there is part of the times when I'm alone, I force quietness because I think it is easy to, like I play a lot of chess. So like I'll just put on chess. Or I'll put on an audio book or I'll put on, I'm not a, a lot into movies, but you know, I'll put on a movie or something like that. So yesterday when I'm biking, I'll just go quiet. Nice. Lately, I've been really just almost just enjoying the movie of what scenes come up in my head. Like I was mad. Uh, I'll just tell you, I was mad at this YouTuber because I gave him some money and he stopped responding to me. I thought I was being a good person. And then in my head, I'm like, this is while I'm biking and I'm trying to not die while I'm mountain biking. And I'm like, fuck him. And then I'm like, wow, wow, look at this anger. And then. It's like, well, did you do what you wanted? Did you give him the money because you wanted to? I was like, yeah. So it's just like this interesting dialogues that are kind of coming up and, and not, I try to be a little softer with myself and just kind of noticing these different things and letting it go down the stream. Like, all right, let's let that one go for a little bit. And, and then some other person comes up or some other like, oh, what am I doing tomorrow? It's, it's pretty amazing how many thoughts go through our mind. Yeah, it can get a little overwhelming if you're not. I think it's, all, it's almost more overwhelming once you start noticing it because you're just like, oh my God. It's endless. I think I've had this this realization, especially this week being alone. I wrote it down. My therapist a few weeks ago said it. She's like, I don't mind what happens. It's just something I think about a lot. It's like, I don't mind what happens. And that's good and bad. Because I think it's very easy to be like, you ever go to a restaurant? Like sometimes when I'm biking, like two days ago, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to go to this burger restaurant, Milts. All day I'm thinking about this burger and cheeseburger. And then I was debating, do I put blue cheese on it? Or do I get bacon on it? Or do I just do regular cheeseburger so I can compare it? And then I got to the burger place and there was a 45 minute wait and I had a call in an hour. So I couldn't wait for the burger. Mm. And I just, and I, and I went back to that quote, like, I don't mind what happens. I was like, it's my choice of how to react to these situations and this moments. And so it, honestly, it's made life amazing. Not to, 
just give up and say everything's just whatever. But just be like, okay, well, there's no burger, so I'll go get something else to eat. So I went and got Thai food. Yeah. It was like some of the worst Thai food I ever had. And I was like, well, you know, it's food. <laughs> and I got I got the burger the next day. And uh, guess what? The burger wasn't even that great. <laughs> Damn. I, you got to try out some new spots. Well, I, I was thinking tonight I'm going to do a different Thai spot, which is kind of strange in the middle of the Utah desert. There's a lot of Thai food. True. That's random. Do you feel like for you, because you, you run your company, are you running it remote? Yeah. It's funny, man. I was biking two days ago, and the thing that crossed my mind is how grateful I am for the people that I get to experience. And I was grateful for Mitchell. Mitchell runs all of our, our YouTube, and then Eamon runs all of AppSumo, which is our main business. And I was just like so appreciative of both of them, and then all the people I get to work with. And yeah. I'm hoping that their lives are doing everything that they want to do in it. And I get to do my life because I used to have this guilt. I used to have this like strong Jewish guilt that I created this company. And so I would never post online really that I was traveling or doing anything because I felt bad for everybody else working at the company that it's like, oh, look at him. He's like doing sh while well, I'm stuck. But I, I kind of got to the point where I was like, everyone in the business should be doing what they want. And that's how I want it to be for myself. And so in the company, bringing in Mitchell to run this stuff or Eamon to run AppSumo, I, I think they pretty much get to do what they want to do. Nice. And for even at, for AppSumo, what's your involvement now? Are you, is it kind of like an overseer? I would say like I'm an underseer. <laughs> I'm at the bottom. I think one of my favorite things in AppSumo is when they do things, they don't tell me. That's like part of my, that's part of my favorite moments. Like Mitchell and Mitchell's a new leader in our company. So I don't think he's doing as much of that, embrace that just yet. But the parts where people know where we're, we're going and they're just doing the things that they think are best. And I think things get fucked up when they ask me for permission. Like, hey, what do you do? You think we can do this? I'm like, now I have to give you not per my permission, but you you didn't take that that agency. And so with AppSumo, I chat with Eamon uh, about once a week for an hour on Fridays to check in on things. And I would I would check in more if he needed me more, but he doesn't. Nice. So most of your time is is with podcasts and just like overall, is it like writing? What do you feel like you spend most of your time? It's interesting how everyone looks at their time. What's been fascinating for me about my time is historically, every week was a new week. It's like every week was amnesia, I would call it. So every week I, I set up my to-dos on Sunday. Sunday or early first thing Monday, I'll set up my what's going on this week. And I could look every week over the past, I think it's about eight years now, what I've said I would do. And so for the past six, six years, I would say that every week was completely different. Like no two weeks were alike. It was, it was just like, what am I going to work out on? That's different. What am I doing for my personal? That's different. What am I doing for work? That's different. And this year, I've found a lot more enjoyment and fulfillment having more consistency of the things I'm working on. So most of my weeks, I'm either creating a video or talking to someone interesting like yourself. I'm working on a book that's coming out in two years. And so I want something longer. So I'm doing that each week. So yesterday, I worked on my book, the book proposal. And then my work and my workout and my, my personal is pretty varying, but my work workouts are pretty much do 350 pushups every day and bike 100 miles uh, a week. I don't care about how many miles lately. I just care that I'm biking and having fun with it. So it's like, well, what biking do you want to do this week that you'd be excited to do? Like bike to a cafe or after this call, I'm going to go bike this like cool trail called the Magnificent Seven. Dude, I've been wanting to get into mountain biking so bad. I've done it a few times and I, I love it so much. Hell yeah. So in terms of my time, there's days where I'm literally like yesterday I didn't, yesterday I worked, the day before I didn't do any work. Today I'm doing calls and writing and scripting and stuff like that in the morning and then the whole afternoon is off. But the, the, the outcomes and the output are pretty similar per week. 
In terms of biking, dude, I've thought about that extensively. I think there's three types of meditation you can get in biking. You just choose which one you want. So mountain biking is present meditation. So when you're mountain biking, because you every moment you could potentially hurt yourself, I can't really be thinking about other things. Like I want to, and I'm like, oh, what about the girl? What about this guy at the company who's pissing me off? Or what about that guy who I gave money to or whatever it is? But if I go there too long, I'm going to fall. So that's what's interesting about biking bike. And then you compare that on the other spectrum is road biking, where you pretty much have to go to that place. Yeah. Because you're, you're literally on the road. Like I'll be on the road for like two to four hours. And it's just like, after the audiobook or podcast. You've got to deal with those thoughts, yeah. Yeah, so the, the road biking will give you a lot of time for that. And so in the middle, the new biking that I've gotten into is gravel biking. So gravel biking is kind of a mix between the two. So it's a road bike with mountain bike tires. Cool. Yeah, so I actually got into that in LA. I have a buddy out there, uh, if you're interested in going, that is, is pretty obsessed with it. But it's a really interesting mix because it's not like you're doing drops and these crazy things on a mountain bike. But it's rocky and you're in nature, which I really like that, that balance. So it kind of gives you a little bit of both. I appreciate the questions. I think I'm so used to asking them. It's nice to, to get a few once in a while. For me, when I, whenever I do these kinds of interviews, I'm like, yeah, it's interesting to be the guest, but the, your audience, like they're, they're also to listen to you. And you know, they, they want to hear what you're thinking just as much as they want to hear what I'm thinking. Probably almost more because they know you, you know, like there's something very intimate about learning more and more about the host and just in general i want to like we know nothing about each other so i think it's cool to, to also to learn yeah i dig that man i appreciate it. thank you well it's interesting i you know one of the things about moab is that when i was in san diego and this is not a knock on people i had people around but i did feel alone and it was more just it was it's not a knock on those people it was just like it is a knock on those people <laughs> they're not bad people it was just like <laughs> It was more, I just, there's certain people I'm around that I, I get energy from in different ways at different times. And yeah. it's nice to notice where the, like the, you know, the, the thing is going off like, oh, cool. Like there's energy in a two-way street. For sure. Yeah, it's reciprocated. I mean, I, that's happened to me so many times just being, I, I think you almost feel the loneliest sometimes when you're with people and like you can't, you don't vibe with a single one of them. Like I, I've caught myself being at a party, like being at parties and feeling most at home in the bathroom where the, it's just like quiet and i'm just like oh yeah. <laughs> this is peaceful i'd rather just stay here the rest of the night you know the bathroom party dude i'm, I'm into it man i might see you there <laughs> just hang out of the bathroom yeah i've noticed that with drinking for me like i, I do drink and i actually it's funny i want to i was curious if you do any drugs while you're doing the, your meditation because uh, that's something i got into i used to smoke a lot just smoke a lot of weed but i, I stopped almost like a decade ago and drinking. I don't do it too, too much, but I actually, I started doing, I, I did MDMA therapy, which is kind of what opened up like this whole world of like trauma and past stuff. And I did that for the first time nine months ago. And I don't ever do drugs. Like I don't do a single thing, but I was in a moment of such desperation that, and like meditation wasn't fully doing it for me. I was exercising every day. I had this great business, all these friends. And I was like, why am I still so fucking miserable like i just don't i don't understand where this is coming from and then a friend of mine who struggled with similar kind of anxiety uh I, I had been in touch with him for years and we had gone back and forth about what was helping us and he was in he'd been in a really bad place and last year i reached out to him and i was like hey man just like checking in how you doing and he was like oh dude happy you called my like my anxiety is gone like i just i'm so happy and i was like what the 
what did you do? And he was like, well, I, I did that. I tried MDMA therapy and it just like opened up a ton, a ton, a ton of like past trauma. And, and then he continued to do the work. He did a, a bunch of sessions. And I think for, for me, like when I say like, if I do drugs, quote unquote, I don't see that as a drug. I see more as like a medicine that allows you to kind of like open up to yourself. But in terms of like drugs as like a, a way to, to avoid things is, is definitely not, not my vibe. It's not really what I do. I want to go deeper on that. Or I'm more, I want to hear more about that. I think what's interesting about the escape part is that I think we're, most of the people are smart enough to, I don't think I'm using it as the escape when I'm using it as the escape. Totally. But what I have noticed is that when I'm, I'll drink at times because I don't want to be somewhere I, I'm at or I don't want to be with certain people. And I'm like, oh, this is a way that I can escape it. I had this weird experience about a month ago where my brain like fell off. I wasn't depressed. I wasn't anything, but my brain, I don't know how to describe it. It was just kind of like gone. It's like if you're hungover or after, after you like MDMA and you're kind of like the serotonins are lower and you're, you're sad for some period of time. Yeah. That normally lasts like a day or two, but this was a, like, a, and I didn't do any drugs, re, you know, recently, but it was like a week of just like, my brain felt dull. Mm. And I wasn't depressed. I wasn't, but I was just like, whoa, this is a strange feeling. And that was the first moment in my life that I ever appreciated my brain. Mm. Like, I was thinking about it, well, biking as well. It's like the two most important things that I think we take for granted are breathing and our brain. Cause I don't think we really think about breathing. We're just like, yeah, some good, sh you know? And I think we're just, like meditation, they're like, breathe. You're like, all right, let it out. <sighs> but I never am like, oh man, it's so cool that I can breathe and I'm alive. And then, and then the brain, it's like, holy shit, this is like the sweetest thing. And we take this for super granted. And now it's been a few weeks. I'm kind of honestly a little paranoid and scared to like alter it. Cause I'm like, wow, it is almost sensitive. And if it got impaired permanently, I came back after a week. There wasn't anything that really dramatically changed. I was like, man, I don't know if I want to put that again. Totally. To me, uh, th that was the biggest fear for me going into this kind of therapy, just like psychedelic therapy in general. It's just like, I'm already so sensitive like to everything if this if i take this thing and it just it could fully send me in the other direction just like make me go insane like that was the biggest fear because the brain is so sensitive and yeah i think that the setting i was in and the specific yeah the whole thing was just like kind of made it perfect like even mdma is a very calm and like welcoming psychedelic so i think it was it just like yeah it was very soothing rather than just like this intense like craziness in the brain what do you think was going on nine months ago for for about a decade now i've i've struggled with depersonalization so it's a form of dissociation from the body so you it actually happened when i was 19 i i was at a party and i, I smoked a joint and i had this like insane panic attack where i after i smoked the joint i ran upstairs and i looked at myself in the mirror and i i was like i don't recognize who this person is like i i'm like what is going on like what is happening these are my hands like I was so out of my body and I, I thought it was going to be like a temporary thing where I'd just go to bed and go away. But I woke up the next morning and it was just still there where I felt like I feel like I'm up here and my body's down here and I'm just not connected to it. It literally feels just like you're going insane. So from that, like I had no choice. I had to stop drinking. I had to stop smoking because it just made it worse every time. And up to that point, I'd been like very much like a party animal and I just completely cut out a lot of my friends who were in that like who were a lot of partiers and completely switched my life around and focused on work, focused on meditation, exercise, all of it. And even as we were building Yes Theory, I was still struggling with this. So it came to the point last year where I was just like, I've tried like everything. Like I've quit drinking, I've quit smoking. 
I've like managed to build this amazing life with these amazing people. Like so many of these adventures and my dreams have come true. Like, why do I feel like this? You know? And when I went to the MDMA therapy, the first thing that came up for me was it just came, came straight from my mom. Like there was a lot of like mom trauma, just like growing up and I did a few sessions and what I, what it started to go to was like my, my mom is father uh, was in, in France during world war two in the South of France. And uh, I'm going like way deep. I don't know. This is like straight into my trauma, but I hope it's okay. Uh, my mom doesn't even know I did any of this. So if she listens to this, it's going to be news to her. But my grandfather, when he was eight years old, he lived in the South of France and him and his family were part of the socialists they hid a Jewish man in their house while the Nazis were taking over the South of France. And my grandfather was eight years old and was in charge of uh, taking the Jewish man into the woods every time that the Nazis would come and patrol the village. And so he, like every time that there was a car, they could hear it coming. So he would escape through the back and hide this Jewish guy. I had heard about this story like way back in the day, but it, it was never a thing that I, like the family never really talked about it too much. Um, but when I did the MDMA therapy, I had this like knot in my stomach and I was like, what the, what is that? Like, and it was just so painful. And I was like, and the therapist was like, just stay with it, just stay with it. And I went to being, I literally became the Jewish man. And I felt like the fear, like knowing that your life could end in any second and just wishing that you just weren't in this body, like wishing that I wasn't. Like my, that I wasn't circumcised or that I didn't have a big nose so that they wouldn't, the Germans wouldn't be able to tell, you know, like wishing I, I could just be anybody else. And that fear, that anxiety was passed down to my eight year old grandfather who has struggled with depression and PTSD and anxiety his whole life. And that was passed down to my mom, which was then like intergenerationally passed down to me. And this is like the kind of sh that like when it happened, I was like, what? So much stuff came up, but I was like, I feel like I'm in world war to because of this inherited anxiety i feel like i'm just always like hyper vigilant afraid of what people might think all that um and i was talking to one of my therapists and he was saying they studied the ethiopian famine from i think like two decades ago and there was like this gene that, from people that survived the famine that was created like this like mutated gene that was created with people that survived the famine and that gene which is something that you're not born with was inherited by the children of the people who survived the famine. So like it was just passed down and as like a survival mechanism. And I think as we like our ancestors, like what they survive is passed down to us and we inherit a lot of their fears, a lot of their anxieties, a lot of their depression. And what I realized is that it had nothing to do with what I had truly experienced in my life and actually more to do with the past. And so like healing from what my ancestors had been through was just like a that was part of the journey honestly a lot of the shit that i'm dealing with now when i say like i lay on this couch and i meditate and think about this stuff is like i'm just trying to to remind myself that i'm safe you know like i'm not in I, there's no need to be afraid anymore there's no need to fear there's no need to be depressed like it's okay and safe and that needs to be your body like you said right like it can't just be your your mind like your mind is so important but you need to feel it in your body and I'm still very, very much practicing that. Also, this is like nothing to do with yes theory, but this is like very, very much like a personal. And that's been from like our whole thing is seek discomfort and like get out of your comfort zone. 
And forever, I thought it was very much an external thing. But the external actually was more of like a practice for the internal, like being able to continuously dive into this, all these different forms of discomfort is what gave me the courage to actually like dig deep into my personal life and be like, I got to deal with this truly like what's personal and scary to me only. And like you said, like there's nobody else can help you. Like this is just your own thing to deal with. And that's the scariest part is like, I can't like nobody else can do this, but me. Uh, and that's like the real discomfort is like, you know, they, people can hold your hand and walk you through it, but you're the one that's got to walk through. And like, once you do like any, like the higher the discomfort, the more you go through it, the greater the reward. And like, I know like on the other side of this is like this incredible life that's awaiting. That's just like, I know I got to go through the in the darkness, but that's how you get to the light. Um, and that's what I've learned from doing yes theory for so long. You just got to go through the, just got to go through the pain in the dark and everybody's got it, but we're all just so afraid to tap into it, you know, and I'm terrified out of my mind. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for allowing me to, to be vulnerable. It's definitely intense stuff to talk about. Yeah. I interviewed this guy named Donald Miller, who's one of my favorite authors. If you haven't read his book, uh, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. I haven't read it. No, I haven't read it. He's a Christian author, which is, and I'm Jewish, so it's not like about the religion, but he's just a phenomenal writer. And he talks about, the book is about how to live an interesting life, which, you know, I think your guys show and your messages is ultimately, I don't know if it's ultimately, to me, it's about that. It's like, how do you live a, mo a most fulfilled life? You know, the one you don't look back on and regret. And I, I got to interview him. It took me like two years to finally interview him. I was so excited. He's someone I've, I've really want to chat with. And he talked about doing, living, living a life with Hail Marys. So he had dinner with this, this woman and he's like, I know you have a boyfriend, but I, I, I think we're going to get married or something like that. And I really want to date you. That, I mean, that's a Hail Mary. I was like, and I mean, I was so inspired. Like after that interview, I was like, I'm going to Hail Mary everything. Like everything's getting Hail Maryed. So I go to my uh, business coach, therapy guy. I don't even know what to call him. And a lot of what he does, which I think is interesting that it's becoming more mainstream is talking about how my body's feeling when I'm talking about something, which is what you kind of highlighted, like mm. how you had a knot in your stomach. And I went to him and I said, man, I'm going to do some Hail Marys in life. Like, what's the craziest shit I can go do now? And he said something, you know, I just want to, I want to relate to you that, I, that stuck with me. He was like, well, I think all of your Hail Marys now are internal. He's like, you've, you've got the company stuff, like you've traveled the stuff, like, you know, you do this stuff, but like the inside stuff is probably where you need to try some Hail Marys. And I'm still exploring some of what that even means. Hell yeah. And I think you can only like go internal once you've done everything externally, you know, like it's harder to like, once you have the money, once you have the fame and success, all of it, it's like, okay, I've tried all this and it hasn't done it yet. Like it's definitely not external anymore. It's got to be something deeper. One thing I wonder for you, and I'm not going to analyze or any of that stuff. That's not what I'm here to do. I can though. I actually, I totally can. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've had enough. I've actually, I'm working on a video called like what you can learn from $15,000 of therapy. I like that. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I, I, cause I have, I've, I've been doing two therapy, two types of therapy. One's like business therapy and coaching. And one is like relationship. But I guess, do you think that life's already great now? Cause you, I, I think one thing you said that I, I go back and forth on, and I think where I've struggled over the years is like, oh, the next thing, this other thing, once I go through this, it'll then be good. And I think I've really tried to start embracing that. It's just great now. For sure. Like the, I look at everything that I do and get, like, get to be with all the people I get to be with and everything I get to do. And I'm like, I just need to enjoy it. Like, I don't need to get to the next thing. Like, the only thing I need to get to is to a place of feeling like I can actually enjoy this. 
and like it's because it's sustainable now everything's working so it's just like it's all great it's just how i'm perceiving it and like if i'm able to change that perception and just like oh like just feel better about it that's all that needs to be done it's just a change in perception sounds so easy though you when you say it i'm like oh yeah just you can perceive and then it's done <laughs> the hail mary thing is really cool though i think that's i mean that's how we've like every big win we've ever had is has been an absolute hail mary it's like see what happens <laughs> like send it you know send it for some reason i don't know where the f- this is coming from i'm picturing like mom's your mom or my mom crying and i've talked to my mom about therapy or i did ayahuasca which is you know kind of and i've done mdma therapy which i found helpful and i i think my mom was crying like what's wrong or what did i do wrong you're is that what you're thinking right now yeah what did she do wrong for you to feel this her way? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what did I do wrong? Oh, totally, dude. Yeah. I, I've tried to share with her a lot of the, what I'm feeling or why I'm feeling. And I think it is, honestly, for a lot of parents, I feel really bad because it, it's like they had their own shit going on and they're trying to just raise you well and they're trying to do their best. And, and you're like, oh, you didn't love me the way, I, like, I'm a level five lover and you didn't love me that way. And I'm like, I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> like, so I think parents sometimes get a tough thing. Have you have you explored some of this with your mom or your your parents? Uh, with my dad, yeah, I think with my mom it's just more difficult because she there's just something really painful about making her feel shitty. You know, like if I I don't want to make her feel shitty by being like, look at how look how how much I'm suffering. You know, like I, I'm like with my mom, the role that I've always played is like the protector, like mom, the caretaker. It's all good. We'll be fine. Don't worry. I'm good. No stress. It's very difficult for me to tap into the other space of being like. I feel like ass, mom, you know, and I need, you might have caused a lot of this, you know, because then she, you know, I don't want her to start crying and, and to feel a certain way. But I mean, yeah, it's it, the stuff with family is always so interesting. Like I talked to so many of my friends and I think everybody, like it's impossibly difficult to raise a person, a human. There's just too much involved. And I think once you start taking responsibility and like implementing forgiveness and all of it and just being like, like you just said, like they did their best, but as an adult now, it's up to nobody else but me. And I think once you take that step of like stop blaming other people and actually like taking responsibility for it is when it actually starts to change. And in any like, like Al-Anon or AA meeting, like that's the number one thing is like admitting that like you're not responsible for anybody else except for yourself and you just have to, to tap into that. I think it's super important. It's interesting, actually, because you you mentioned for the Hail Marys, or you have you have two therapists. You have one for relationships and one for business. How are you on the relationship side? Like, on, is it more for like dating or just like relationships in general? I'm almost forty, I, and broke up with my fiance in April. Oh, then yeah. So we were, and it wasn't Corona related. And honestly, we are talking again. Like me and her have been communicating, and I've seen I saw her. How long had you guys been together? Uh, a little over three years. Okay. Yeah, I was curious. Uh, like, I'm the common denominator in all my relationships. <laughs> I mean, in all my relationships, I'm the. I know for sure I'm in it, and then they're in it. And so I, I was trying to just get a better understanding of you know what mistake. It's not always mistakes. Like, I, my I think my buddy Neville during a lot of this stuff during therapy, and he's like, life's just great, and he's had some really stuff happen, and he still keeps that attitude and. I don't know if it's just like the upbringing. I don't know if it's like the friendships. I don't know if how we approach his life. But I do try to think of think of it that way. Like life is great if we want to look at it that way. 
like if I, if we were to if he were to be the therapy of this session, he's like, you just chose girls that weren't great right now, and you're gonna find one that is great. That's literally what he would say. And he's like, you know, he's just on one hand, I wonder if we overcomplicate a lot of these things, but at the same time, if this is how we're feeling and how we're exploring it, like that serves us and not maybe serves, but that's how we're doing it. And he does it otherwise. But I think relationship, yeah, I was just curious, like, who am I choosing? How am I behaving? I think the thing that I've noticed in the relationship therapy probably is like my fear of being alone. I think a lot of our fears are not unique. I don't know if there's any unique fear. Actually, I met a girl recently who's fe- afraid of ants. And I was like, all right, that's pretty unique. Huh. <laughs> I haven't met a lot of girls <laughs> afraid of ants. But yeah, I'm just afraid to be alone. So I, I wonder how I'm choosing partners based on that versus choosing people where I'm not feeling alone. And it's like, oh, okay, I'm not alone. And it's almost made it more interesting to be around different people and noticing where the vibrations are coming from or not. I think we breaking up, I wanted to leave. And then I wanted to explore just liking myself again. I, when people say that, I fucking don't understand it either. Like when I say it to myself, <laughs> I'm like, what does liking yourself mean? But I think recently it's just like enjoying doing things by myself without having the need to involve others. But I will say being yeah. out here for the week, I'm like, you know what? Being alone is not that fun. So like on Saturday, I'm going to go hang out with a buddy. And I think it's just like understanding the things that we need for ourselves and the boundaries that we want to live with and then finding people that work well with that. Yeah. And not having to compromise so much on the things that matter to us. Dude, totally. I mean, I, in terms of the relationship thing, I've had the same thing. I've just dated women that looking back, I'm like, well, what am I doing? What was I doing? You know, like just like picking people based off almost like how like difficult they are to to be with you know if a girl for example doesn't like in the past wouldn't text me back for like a day i'd be like i'm fucking in love with this woman and like i think these these kinds of things where like it's hap- it hap- started happening so many times with girls that i was just like this is like a me thing this is not at all like these women it's like again it's just certain shit that i haven't dealt with that i'm like my first instinct is like i need a girl to make me feel better and then realizing that that's just not going to be the, ever the case. And I think a lot of people end up in relationships and, and marriages where they're like, the partner is like this person that, you know, helps them overcome their fear of loneliness. And then as soon as that partner like leaves or something happens, like all of a sudden you're back to square one and you're like, like I have to deal with this loneliness again. When you could have just dealt with the loneliness in the first place and then, you know, figured out the relationship stuff after. Dude, a million percent agree. I think one of the things with my ex that we observed, and I've talked with her about it, is that we both helped cover each other's problems. Totally. I mean, I think that's so many relationships. Yeah. And it's always fucked up. Like, I have, I've said this in a previous episode or previous conversation where it was like, I've thought a lot of my exes were better off without me. Like, afterwards, they went and did all these things. I'm like, man, you're so much better off without me. But I think it was just that we were both, I guess there's just different things that we both had to, to grow. And I've been, I don't know, I've been single now. It's been a few months. It's, I don't know. It's been, it's been great. I wouldn't say, you know, it's like every day has not been perfect and not every day has been all this stuff, but I'm like, wow, this is like, yesterday I was mountain biking. I'm on this mountain. It's called Slick Rock in Moab. And there's this man and woman at the top of the mountain. And they're like, oh, this is the worst trail I've ever seen. We're going to have to, we're going to go to a different one and all this stuff. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And I'm, I'm doing this thing lately where when people kind of are criticized to me or negative to me, I just say the opposite. I'm like, dude, I love this trail. Like, yeah, it's really challenging. I'm loving it. That's not the point of the story, but that's just something I have to do with. So they say that, and then I bike a little bit more, and I meet this Brazilian guy named Samuel, who goes by Sam. And he's like, Noah, this doesn't have a French accent, but I'll do French. He's like, Noah, this trail is the best. I love it. This is my love. I can't believe how much I love. 
And I think in the relationship, it's like, how can the same thing be looked at in two different ways? It's the exact same trail. Yeah. But just two different experiences, the same thing. And I don't know. I think in relation, I was trying to think of it in relationships. It's like, I don't know, two people can look at the same thing with two different experiences. I don't know. Lately, I've just been okay. I, I, like, I was looking at my journal this morning and I was like, everything's just okay. Not in a bad okay. Like, everything's okay. Like, hey, you're single. It's okay. You haven't found a, mar- you're not married with kids yet. It's okay. You don't have a partner that you're there with yet. It's okay. Do you feel that pressure with the age thing of having like all these, like the house and the kids and all of it? I did. I did for a while. After the breakup, I said, what was wrong with me? Why did I stay so long? Why did I propose to this person and waste their time and waste their, their family's time? Yeah, I felt really sad about it. And I felt what was wrong with me. And then I just took kind of some time to just be with people I like, do the things I like. And I was like, oh, I can just live life the way I want. And then I read a book and it kind of sparked a thought about like, the future is going to be better. And I wrote that even, I wrote that even this morning where it was just like, hey, guess what? It's going to get better. I'm like, really? <laughs> I know that sounds kind of strange, but I wrote like, I, uh, let me see what I wrote. But it was basically like, this is, I wrote this this morning, being optimistic and thinking there's more women, there's more opportunities, or just that things will get better is such a blissful way of thinking. It is true. Like, I, I think you're almost in a, such an advantageous position. Like there's so many 40 year old men, dude, who are just like with kids and a wife and a house and they're like miserable, but it's everything that society told them they should have. And you're, I mean, they're in this place and they're like the most stuck out of anybody. And I'm sure there's people listening to this podcast right now who are in exactly that position being like, damn it, that's me, you know? And like for you, it's almost like actually Tim Urban from Wapo Y wrote this great article about relationships. I don't know if you've read it, but he said like, you're, when you're single or newly single, you're actually just one step away from this really happy relationship. Whereas if you're in a relationship with kids or whatever, like you're so many steps away from being in a happy relationship, but that's like the idolized situation, like having family with kids, you know, at like a certain age. But when 50% of people are getting divorced, when like the other 50%, 40% of those are in unhappy marriages, but they're just sticking together because of the kids. It's like, I think there's, there's gotta be this like, this reconsideration of marriage, of relationships, of like, how are we operating this way? Like, it, it just doesn't seem to be working, you know? Because I'm, 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 I'm going to be 30 soon. And I think about the relationship thing, too. I'm like, damn, I always thought I'd get married by the time I was like, 31 or 32. But now that I, I even I, I meet guys like you, and like, you look so young, like, it's just so inspiring. My coach, so young looking and so vibrant. And I'm like, growing up, I saw so many like older men and these marriages that just weren't happy and that gained weight and like lost motivation for life. And I think there's this like newfound like realization that life actually, like you're saying, just can actually get better and better over time. Like you don't have to fall into the trap of like what 50 or 40 or 60 looks like. Like you can make your own decisions about what you want it to look like. And I think that that's what's so exciting. It's like, oh, there's actually way more time to, to do all these things than I thought. And I'm free to choose. Well, two things that I heard. One, I think it's hard when things are going so well and you're still feeling something's missing. I've definitely had that that experience. Or a buddy of mine I went biking with in LA who runs a, a he runs a profitable, really successful company to me, how I would label it. And he was like, Man, I can't believe you're single and you're living in Malibu and you're doing all this shit. And I was like, Huh, I guess it is pretty cool. <laughs> but I wasn't <laughs> I didn't really see it that way sometimes. And so, you know, yeah, it's nice to have that reminder. I do wonder as men, two pieces like with that as well. It's like, I do think for not even men, maybe everyone, I don't, I don't know what it's like to be a woman yet, 
I would like to try for a day. I think just turning 30 is a really big, interesting moment. Not even if you make it a big deal, but it's just like, oh, sh- like mortality. Like it's just, a th- I think 30 really does that to a lot of people. I know for myself it did. And then after 30, you're like, well, f- it, I'm already past it now. But it's just like that moment of like, where am I in life? How's life going? Like I thought I'd be married with kids. One of my thoughts is like, one, I never thought I'd live till 30. I just never thought it would happen. And then once I, I kind of haven't even thought about that in a long time, because I'm, I guess I'm a few years past it. But I thought the married and kids thing would happen at 30. But I didn't realize you have to actually find the, the wife to make kids with. I just thought they appear. You know what I'm saying? I, I was like, it's like people are like, I want to get rich. It was like, you have to go work and get the money. They're like, oh, it just doesn't magically appear. It's kind of a weird thing. Right after the breakup, I felt really like pressured to go find someone and make kids and do all that. Now, lately, I've just been happy. I'm just like, I don't like the word happy, but lately I've just been accepting like, hey, you haven't met someone. There's a lot of people out there. Maybe it'll be your ex. You'll go back and you both have grown and you've matured. Maybe it'll be someone else. Yeah. But I think not having to force that has given me freedom and and honestly, peace. Did you always want kids? (laughs) It's funny. I think life, someone said it, life is like seasons. Like our own lives are seasonal, just like the the weather. And uh, I'm in my third phase. First phase was like, I think the life that everyone tells you you're supposed to do which is have kids and wife and all that kind of stuff, or husband and wife, which I was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna ha- I- I've liked kids. And then in my 30s, my brother had a kid, and I was like, oh, I definitely don't want to have kids. Mm. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, wow, this is everything I don't want in life. <laughs> yeah. And then um, since I broke up, it has nothing to do with my ex, but it's just been as I'm older and experienced a lot of things, I was like, man, I do think I, I would like it now, like in- on my own terms. And the way that we can like maybe have kids that we travel with or have kids and have, you know, multiple houses. I think I, I've looked at kids sometimes like people didn't do anything with their lives. So they're like, have a kid so they can do something. It's like a guarantee that you won't be alone. I've just noticed how I'm reacting better to kids or more excited about children lately. Like I see little kids and I'm just kind of like excited. My body's telling me that like there's something happening with that. Like we're like, oh, here's my output. I made a video or I like have this number or something. And I think with inner stuff, that's like holding us back in different ways it's it is hard yeah for sure because you also you can't show like a sticker or necessarily some progress with people so i guess i was how is it with the, your relationship for me it's it's good i I, I I took a vow of celibacy back in june i was like i'm just done with dating for a little bit and i took three months off and it was actually the decision to intentionally not date was actually the most beneficial in terms of dating which was ironic it was like the second I stopped needing it, the second I stopped wanting it so bad, I not only felt better and became a better person, but in terms of just like the women that I ended up being with after the relationships were so much healthier because uh, it didn't come out of a place of need or physical want or physical. Yeah. So I think like I, I totally agree with you. Like my like the, the fear of loneliness for me was the biggest one. Like that was the main reason I was just like I, I just like needed somebody to make me feel less lonely and realizing that and just being in my own space and not needing the person was like the most valuable tool I had. So it's cool. Yeah. It's been great, man. Like there's other than like dealing with all this like stuff now and like going through it, I think I feel so blessed to live, to be a guy in an age where men are allowed to be vulnerable. I think I look back at like the generations before and I'm like, obviously like it's always, it's been difficult to be a woman for like for sure. But I think it's, it's also underestimated how difficult it was to be a man back then as well. Like the guy, men just couldn't, like just could not open up 
I remember I was in, Af- I was, I, I did a, a field study program in East Africa. I'll never forget. I was with this, um, we were in a village and we were talking to the elder women of the village and we had a translator with us. And this older woman, this older African woman was telling us something and the translator explained that her husband had died of a heart attack 10 years before. And the woman was like laughing and smiling and explaining something else. And the translator was like, she says that men, because men can't open their hearts, their hearts collapse. And I was like, holy shit, that's fascinating. Like she was so light and so free and she was so open about everything. And I was like, it's so, as a dude, there's this need to like be tough and protect and, and not share. But I think for people like you, you know, who have an audience uh, and likely a lot of males in your audience, I think it's important to lead by example and just like, like have these kinds of conversations, you know, where it's like, you don't have it figured out. You're like insecure about X and X, like you're vulnerable about this and that. I think those conversations to me are always more impactful than the ones where I listen to a podcast and I'm like, oh, this guy's figured out the three lessons to living the perfect life. And then you try those three lessons and you're like, this actually makes me feel worse because I can't be as good as this guy, you know? But when I hear like people who are really successful, who like still struggle with these things, these dudes are just human like me and they like all men have these insecurities from wherever it just kind of brings people together. I think it's just like, it relaxes you a little bit. You're like, ah, I'm not the only one that's up. Yeah. I'm not alone. Yeah. One thing that's kind of helped me shape my perspective is that these, you know, wait in my burger place. I couldn't get my burger or like on last Friday, there was just a lot of things that dominoed that didn't go so well. And, or, or you, as you're, you know, working through different traumas that you're, you're experiencing. I'm also just trying to look at those positively. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've kind of reduced my therapy from weekly now to like once a month. And they're like, well, how's things going? I'm like, I'm like, honestly, life's great and bad. And I'm enjoying both. Hell yeah. I think that's just kind of helped. So as I'm like, if as you're going through this, this thing, maybe even considering like, huh, this is kind of shitty. And like, I am having some pain. It's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Feeling it is super important for sure. Yeah. The word vulnerable always weirds me out lately too. Cause sometimes when I think people are vulnerable, I'm like, you mean just being open, right? Like actually having conversations about what's really going on or yeah, I guess it is a generational thing that, that people haven't shared as much or haven't felt as comfortable to share some of these things. For sure. I think it's, there's also like vulnerability is kind of the, kind of become a little bit cliche where it's like, you see these Instagram captions of people being like opening up about, but like about some of their insecurities or whatever. And you're like, that's amazing. That's cool. It's, it's awesome to be authentic. But I think true vulnerability is when you really don't want to say it when you're like, I, this is not going to sound, this is not going to make me look good at all. I just don't even want to explain that I'm in a dark place. And actually before coming into this interview, I was like, a huge part of me was like, I don't actually feel that good. Like, and I've been in so many podcasts where like, yes, theory is, is like a very, like we promote a very positive message and like, we have all this, like, we're very much known as like the positive guys. And I think there's like a danger in that sometimes as, as like a a representative of that philosophy where you're like afraid Mm. to actually admit that like live, you know, like not in the past, like not saying like, oh, I I used to feel shitty, but being like, I actually feel pretty shitty today. I feel like I'm stuck in this like kind of like dark hole of past and like still dealing with it. And I'm not through it yet. I wish I was, I got, I wish I could come on this podcast and be like, guys, I did it. I went through it. I fucking, I solved the problem. But um, it's like, it's the, yeah, I think the admittance that this very moment you don't feel good 
rather than saying like, I used to feel this way and now I feel better. Like that's true vulnerability in my opinion is like, it's not working out right now, but it's all good. You know? One, I appreciate you sharing. I really do. Thanks, man. Do you mind if I make a light suggestion? Please. So I know for me, I always look at, I'm like looking for a book or a podcast or a YouTube to like fix it. Me, not it, me when I say it. I think lately when like I'm waking up this morning, like not this morning, like I was excited. I knew I like today I was like, I have two fun conversations. I'm gonna go mountain biking and I'm gonna go in the hot tub. I'm like, that's like a best day ever for me. I have noticed the mornings I wake up and I feel shitty. I just try to go to some of the basics of like, did I sleep well? And if you're not sleeping well, that kind of some shit up. And then I'm like, well, is it 8 a.m. in the morning? Yeah. Well, you're still probably tired. And then I try to just do some basic like, okay, what just stuff do I generally do that makes me feel good? You know, read a book, do a little journaling of some of the stuff. And then I think ultimately I'm like, not be so hard on myself. And then try to tell myself like, yo, it's going to, the afternoon's generally better. Yeah. I think my variances of like emotional days have gone down in a good way. Nice. So if I'm feeling it, like a lot of days I'm feeling it, I'm like, I just probably didn't sleep well. I know it sounds so simple, but some, maybe sometimes it is. Yeah, I mean that has such huge effects. It is so, it's so key. Yeah, have you not been have you not been sleeping well? Uh, not really. No, no. The last like few weeks, I've struggled a little bit. But why do you think you haven't been sleeping well? I've always, I mean, sleeping has always been a struggle for me. I'm like very, I'm a very light sleeper, so any kind of noise will just like make me wide awake, and then I'll have a hard time going back to sleep. Like even on, I mean, it's funny because Amar and Thomas, my two co-founders, are. Like can pass out anywhere. So like when we go, out, we've gone on like so many long flights around the world, and I'll often find myself in the middle seat, and they're both passed out for like ten hours, and I'm just like, and that, that actually creates anxiety, probably. Yeah, it makes it worse. Yeah. Have you ever looked at the, like hiring like a sleep consultant or a sleep coach? Is that a thing? I didn't know those things. There's got it, dude. You're in LA, man. There's a thing for th- everything. One of the things I just kind of I feel like I, I'm not obligated. I feel like I really want to say it to you. I was with my relationship therapist, like two months ago and every session she always does this her name's jenny she always goes noah what do you want out of this session and it gives me anxiety all weekend all weekend i'm thinking what do i want before you go into the session yeah she's like well when i get in the session she's like what do you want and i'm like i don't know to have a healthy relationship and like myself more and uh you know one day she said two months ago which i thought was really interesting it's literally the simplest advice i've gotten in a long time that but it's been the most impactful she's like you know you're perfect the way you are and i was like what do you mean Mm. she's like you don't really like you don't need to change you don't need to fix anything so whatever that's worth for you might be something to to reflect on i was just like you sure about that yeah (laughs) she's like yeah well our session's coming to an end and you owe me 195 but you're perfect until our next session (laughs) (laughs) just keep coming and you'll stay perfect (laughs) in 10 more sessions you get the real perfect medal (laughs) Uh, I think uh, honestly for you as like I, I, that's why I empathize with entrepreneurs so much is because we're very much like we can fix this problem kind of vibe and when that comes to your own life like the type A personality is sometimes almost detrimental where you're like I can fix all my problems and then you're like oh actually the fixing will only come from letting go and surrendering more than just like obsessing over the problem so that's for me, that's what my therapist keeps saying is like, stop trying to fix it. You're already fine. Just let it go. And I'm like, I know, but I can't. I have the controls. You know, I, I, I like, I need to have control over it. So that's the, for me, that's the practice too is like accepting that it's all good. Like you said, you know, everything's fine. But really under, like, I know. fully understanding that I think is the difficult part. 
when woo-woo people say practice, like, oh, practice, I'm like, what are you talking about? I finally fully accept, not accepted it, recognize what that means. It's not, it doesn't mean that I have to let go all the time or that like I have to go full woo-woo. It's just like a practice means you're practicing. I'm like, oh, that's cool. So I'm not perfect. Like I still yell at Mitchell, but it's practice in all these different aspects. And I think that's almost giving me freedom and permission. That was one of the things in therapy. It's like permission to just like, oh, I'm not perfect and I'm going to keep working on it. I think it's really fascinating who we surround ourselves with and then the stability and like structure and calmness and like stability, like Mitchell and Eamon who runs AppSumo and Chad who's my business partner, you know, teach me and provide that in my life. So I'm, I guess I was curious how like your partners and other friends like provide those different components. Definitely. Oh, dude, I mean, that's been the biggest blessing. I literally have the best co-founders in the whole world in terms of the fact, like right now I'm at home and everybody's working at the office and they understand that I'm just like going through a hard time, but there's so little pressure to, they understand that in order for any of this to work for the relationship to work, for the business to work, that if I don't like take care of myself first and foremost, that everything falls apart faster. So I think like in your relationships, having people put you as a priority first is like, and I think the the lack of guilt in relationships is for me the ultimate. Like when people don't make you feel guilty for sure, you're just like, thank you, God. Like this feels so good to not feel bad about. Like maybe I'm a little late, or like maybe I'm just doing something a little not. I'm not working as hard today, or like all of it. And they're like, it's fine. It's all good. I think that kind of patience is the is what I value most in a friendship or in a relationship. It's key. As you say it, it's refreshing to hear. Mm-hmm. It felt like a shower. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all good. It's all good. All right, man. I well, I'm gonna get rocking. I'm gonna let you. I, we were gonna talk about the podcast, the Yes Theory podcast. One of the things we did get a touch on that I was really excited about was just everything not on screen. Like that's actually what I was most interested in. It's like I watched one of your videos and I was like, not jealous is the right word, mm. but it's inspiring. It's like I need to go live the fullest life. Yeah. And then my first thought for you, because I, I was like, I'm so cool. I get the chance to, to connect with you. I was like, what's this breakfast like? The imagination of an audience is that your day is always extreme. Yeah. Whereas in reality, it's like you're on a couch and you have a mask on, you know, thinking about life at night. Yeah, I think there's there's parts of our lives that like behind the scenes are actually pretty insane that we don't show on camera. But that's, I'd say like 2% of it. Like last night I was at an event with a friend and it was just like, it was just like mind blowing where I was like, what am I, what's happening right now? You know, but there are moments like that where you're like, oh, this is amazing. But then you realize like so much of my life in order to have those insane moments, 95% of my life needs to be like so much, so stable and simple. So my breakfast is literally the same every morning. It's a smoothie, protein powder in it, almonds, bananas, you know, simple. For a while though, when we were doing yesterday for the first four years, like, like we just didn't stop. Like every week we were at a different place with different people doing some crazy, something crazy. I'm so happy it all like went down, but that kind of lifestyle is, isn't fully sustainable. You know, like when you're going so hard for so long, you have all these amazing memories and experiences, but you're also like, you crave a routine, you crave stability, you crave like, I just want to know where I'm going to wake up in the morning. Like, that'll be nice to just know that I can wake up in the same place. But then after a while, you're like, it's good to shake it up, I think, to not stay in the routine for too long. To also be like, all right, let's go on an adventure, which is what happened last night. We went on an adventure. But I, I think the message is really interesting. I like what you said about 2% is interesting, 95% is not as not sexy. But I also like that, you know, it's like, hey, go spice it up, put a little hot sauce in it. Oh, dude, those are the best times. 
when you just shake up the routine on like a even on a spontaneous way like just a quick road trip up the coast jump in the water do a little skinny dip at night like just with friends like there's like that that's just so simple to do and that'll like it just jolts you awake you know every time i'm like oh god i'm so happy i did that it just felt so good what do you think would be the mat challenge that all the listeners could go do today to like put a little hot sauce to me the one of the things i love doing is i hop in a car with a friend or even by myself and like let's see where this goes and just like no map nothing and just driving and then you end up in like the craziest places like thomas and i have ended up finding like these insane abandoned mansions in Malibu just by driving, literally saying, all right, we'll turn right here, left here, go up. And then all of a sudden you're like, what is this place? So I'd say just like no map, just run it on a Saturday or Sunday. Just see where it goes. Yeah, we'll leave it at that, man. It was, uh, it was amazing connecting. Look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, same here, dude. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as I did. If you did, go check out Yes Theory YouTube channel. Their episodes are amazing. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's go tandem bike together. And before you go, tweet at me at Noah Kagan and let me know what you thought of this episode. Also, remember to go subscribe to my email list. I put out my best tips in a single short email I send every single week and also exclusive content just for email subscribers. You can sign up at sendfox.com Noah. That's sendfox.com Noah. Finally, a couple shout outs to my amazing team. I can't do this without y'all. Special thanks to Jason of podcasttech.com. He does all the editing and audio magic of these episodes. Thank you to David, Mitchell, Jeremy, and Jen from the Dork Team. You guys are amazing. And finally, a special shout out to Chris Guyan, our email marketing manager at AppSumo. Thank you for all of the amazing words you send out to all those gorgeous Sumo links. Have a sushi day. What's your favorite fish? <laughs>